Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Scott, if I haven't met you yet, and I am one of the pastors here. And uh, we are on a journey together through uh, the Bible, and we are looking at a number of Proverbs today. So I think you've got clues on all of that. Appreciate the Cobb family with all that help. Uh, I will forever remember some of those Proverbs in a different way than (laughs) what I had to this point. So we're grateful. Um, We have been talking about uh, the matter of wisdom and what we're able to glean from the Proverbs in a little bit different way. And I want to do that a little bit differently with you again today. Uh, Who can tell me what they think they're looking at there? Yeah. Some of the uh, artistic effort of Dale Chihuly. Um, He just happens to be a local guy, grew up in Tacoma, uh, educated at the University of Washington, did more of his artistic training at uh, the University of Wisconsin, and then he studied uh, uh, abroad and then came back to Rhode Island School of Design. Uh, He's considered by many critics to be one of the leading artists with respect to uh, the work uh, related to to glass. As you see, the colors and the lighting especially are what uh, people are taken with. The uh, skill that is involved in what he does to blow glass and to create the colors and the lighting effects and so on like that is a unique skill. It's unique capability. It's unique craftsmanship. And unlike perhaps a lot of other artists uh, through time, uh, Julie had a little bit different experience because around 1976 he was in uh, an automobile accident in England. And it was a head-on collision through him, through the windshield. And uh, as you can imagine, his face was just filled with glass. He lost uh, his eye, his left eye. Uh, so he suffered some depth perception problems because of that visual challenge. Uh, and then a couple of years later, he was in a, a different kind of accident where he was doing actually some body surfing. And he so damaged his shoulder that he could no longer hold the pipe that's involved in blowing glass. And so his artistry took an entirely different uh, uh, track, a a whole new trajectory, if you will. And uh, in his own words, he said he began to move from being the dancer to being the choreographer, to being the actor, to being the director. And he began to bring other artists around him into whose lives he could speak and direct and coach and uh, call forth uh, various kinds of artistic expression so that we have not only been blessed through the years uh, uh, with his own artistic capability, but that which he has uh, released into the lives of others. And so it's a unique twist on what we've been talking about around here with respect to craftsmanship and skill and ability and artistry. Uh, because it's not only been a solo thing, it's been a thing that he's been able to pass on and involve others in. I say all that to say this. The Hebrew word for that kind of skill, that kind of craftsmanship, that kind of artistry is chokmah. And it is the very same Hebrew word used in the Proverbs that is translated wisdom. 
And so it, it unpacks for us more of what the biblical writer is trying to get at when he says, be wise, pursue wisdom, surround yourself with wise people, things like that. It's not just this uh, kind of uh, idealistic, uh, intangible thing out there, but it's something that is very developable. It's something that you can sharpen and that you can become skilled and and uh, you can actually be like a craftsman. You can like be an artist with respect to how you know and experience and follow the ways and the will of God. That's what wisdom is all about. It's about becoming highly skilled and capable in seeing God, discerning God, being able to follow God, become in character like God. And so uh, God bless us with the capacity to be a Dale Chihuly, if you will, with respect to faith, with respect to uh, following Almighty God. And so in light of what we're looking at these days, uh, focusing on wisdom and what it means to live life well, and that we primarily live in a world and in a culture where uh, God is an afterthought, if he's a thought at all, uh, the Bible says that uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so living in that context, foolish times, foolish places, how do you live wisely? That's what we've been talking about. And we continue that today as we get into uh, an examination of a number of Proverbs. So as uh, was already highlighted for you today, Proverbs are pithy. Most of the time, they're a single statement. Sometimes they are a little package of four or five statements together addressing the same matter. Uh, and the intention in the collecting of all of these Proverbs was to collect a number of, of axioms, if you will, or, or sayings that you can kind of just put in your pocket and carry with you. And you can remind yourself of these kinds of sayings in whatever kinds of settings. And so we do well to grow in wisdom. And what we've been contending for these recent weeks is that you can do that, A, by studying the ways of God. He's disclosed himself. He's revealed himself. He's allowed us to observe his ways. So study his ways, glean and, and grow in wisdom by watching how God does what God does. Last week, we talked about how you can glean and grow in wisdom from God's Word. So studying His Word and uh, hearing His teaching and appropriating His law and His statutes, His principles. Today, we're talking about how He brings wisdom to us through the lives of other wise people. And that's why I thought Chihuly was especially appropriate for us, because he not only had become proficient in what he did, he helped others become proficient in that. And so there are wise people that God's put in and around our lives that can be the choreographer to our dance, can be the director to our act, you know, however you want to think about it. And so Proverbs 10.14 says it this way, the wise lay up knowledge. You store it up. You, you get all the wisdom you can get. That's the way wise people go at it. Get it from the ways of God. Get it from the Word of God. Get it from other wise people in God. We're also told in Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks 
with the wise becomes wise. It absolutely matters who you hang out with. And uh, that parental message that all of us received and some of us have dispensed to our kids, uh, it matters who your friends are and how much time you're spending with them and what you're doing and where you're going and all those kinds of things. Because you get involved with some foolish people doing some foolish stuff, you become a fool. And life becomes more painful. So it absolutely matters uh, with whom you walk with in life. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't befriend those that don't have room for God in their life or haven't connected their life with God. Uh, It just means uh, we are careful about who we hang out with in the sense of uh, a significant, substantive kind of life engagement. Um, More specifically, and I wanted to give this caveat before we got any further into the Proverbs, and that is this. Ultimately, ultimately, the wise person is the one that has discovered that Jesus is, in fact, the supreme revelation of God. And that the cross of Christ is the supreme expression of God's grace and God's mercy toward us so that we might have life. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.20. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so when we're talking about hang out with wise people, learn wise ways, become a wise person, it not only matters with whom you're hanging out, it matters with whom they have attached their affections and their appetites and their aspirations. Is it Jesus or is it something else? So let me say it to you this way. Probably everybody has recognized some of their own personal limitations when it comes to financial advice or financial consultation. And so you might have a financial planner that you consult. That's great. That can be very wise. Uh, Almost everyone has recognized their own limitations about understanding the way their body functions and how they maintain that health. And so almost everyone has uh, uh, sought the wisdom of a physician. That's great. Terrific. You might do the same thing uh, when it comes to something related to your work, something related to family life, etc. We're uh, in an age where knowledge is more available than it's ever been. And a few clicks on your computer and you can tap the so-called wisdom of whomever about whatever, right? You have to be careful about the person that you're trying to glean the wisdom from. And so, for example, um, there are a lot of people that know a whole lot more about finances than I do and about investments and about how to prepare myself for my later years and my less than productive years and so on like that. Not only do I want to glean from a financial planner, I especially want to connect with one who's a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. You say, well, now why would that matter? Because there are certain principles, there are certain truths around finances and economics and around stewardship that I want to have respected when I'm doing my financial planning. And if I'm meeting with a financial planner who understands all kinds of things about investments and products and and, and things that might be able to serve a lot of my interests, if he or she has no respect for my sense of stewardship about my tithing, about my investments in the kingdom of God, 
then I'm going to have problems in being able to glean all the wisdom I need out of that kind of individual. And I would say that with every arena of life. There's a lot of things we can learn from a lot of people, but I especially want to learn it from the people who are wise in God and who have settled the issue about who is Jesus and who, who am I and how will my life connect with Christ and that I will be a, a following, obedient child of God through faith in Christ. So having said that caveat, let's... Let's just kind of take a little walk, a little stroll through some of the Proverbs and see uh, what they describe to be the wise man, the wise woman. If you were to walk out today and go, hey, I appreciate what you said. I want to begin to connect more intentionally with wise people. What do they look like? They look like this. <laughs> Uh, not really. But uh, Lucy uh, highlights for us some of the reasons that we need help, that we need counsel. For example, we all have blind spots. There are things that we just can't see going on around us. So we need wise people around us that can help us see some of the things about us that we can't see. We don't always really stop to really think. In fact, a lot of the times I'm much more careful and stopping to think about you and what's going on in your life and my engagement with what's going on in your life than I am about my own. And so we all have that proclivity of not uh, stopping to really think about our own circumstances and situation. And we fail to notice some important details, usually more about ourselves than maybe some others. We uh, have background biases. There have been things that have been a part of our growing up and a part of our social socialization that uh, shade, if you will, something of how we look at life and circumstances. And we tend to jump to conclusions, some of us more than others. And we get trapped by categories. We won't even think about these options because it doesn't fit this category. And so another voice can help us to see, oh, that might be totally appropriate. And we often miss the big picture, the big, big picture, the picture that's bigger than my life, the picture that's bigger than the span of my years, the picture that gets more into the whole kingdom of God thing. And we see often what we want to see. So we need good counsel. And here's more of what that can look like. The kind of wise person that I want to connect with, that I want to glean from and to hear something from God through, is the kind of person that recognizes true power. Where is and what is true power? Proverbs 21.1 says it this way, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it, the Lord turns it wherever He wills. And you get the implication of that. We have some very powerful people in our country and around this globe who are in various kinds of political or military type positions and though they be powerful and though we do well to respect 
and to honor that kind of power, ultimately, all power is in God. And He has the say over what various rulers may or may not do. I'm asking you to think about that. The truth of that proverb. You see, you will soon be reading some of the prophetic sayings. And one of the things that prophets will point out is that often God will use the ruler of an enemy nation to accomplish his purposes and to accomplish his will with his people, Israel. And so you'll be introduced to a guy by the name of Tiglath-Pileser, a ruler, a king in Assyria, who absolutely pounds and crushes Israel. The prophet says he was a tool in the hand of God to accomplish the purposes of God. Now, did he have a clue that he was a tool in the hand of God? No. More than likely, he had no idea. He certainly didn't have a respect or a reverence for the God of Israel. But the prophetic writer says God used Tiglath-Pileser to judge his people. Another guy will come along by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, king in Babylon. He will absolutely crush Judah. And the prophets will say, hand of God. God worked in the life of that ruler to bring about God's purposes with his people. Later you'll meet a guy by the name of Cyrus, king of the Persians, who will then overcome Babylon and set the Jews free to be able to return from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Isaiah will say, he was in the hand of God. He was the man of God for that hour. I could go on and on and on. Let's just bring it all the way to the New Testament. When Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate's trying to get Jesus to say something. Are you innocent? Are you guilty? Do you not have anything to say for yourself? And Jesus says, I'll say this. You would have no power unless my Father in heaven granted it to you right now. We're in an election year. It absolutely matters in a democratic society that we're uh, privileged to live in to be informed about the issues. It absolutely matters to be informed about the candidates. It absolutely matters for you to carry out the responsibility of a citizen in a democratic society to cast a vote. In all of those ways, you partner with the work of God in our country. And you are faithful to uh, the stewardship of being a citizen in this country. But ultimately, the day after the election, there's no cause for great elation or depression, depending on how your candidates turned out. Because it's all still in the hand of God. You say, well, if the wrong person gets into the Oval Office, you know, we, we may be on this awful trajectory toward, you know, the demise of our nation. Maybe. And if that happens, friends, that was in the plan and the timing of God. Because the fact of the matter is, and I love this country, there's no other place on the planet I'd rather live. I. 
if God gave, gave me the opportunity to choose, just choose wherever in the world you want to live, I'd be choosing right here. I love this country. I feel very blessed in this country. God's done wonderful things in this world through this country. But this country is a sinful, broken, busted place. And I totally agree with Ruth Graham, the late wife of Billy Graham, who said years ago, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a judgment day coming for this country. Unless there is some kind of massive, sweeping repentance across this country, we have already so insulted the person and the character of God. There's no way that we won't have some kind of judgment at some point in time. And he's in charge of all that as to how it will happen, when it will happen, who will be some of the key players in it happening. And I don't mean to be a prophet of doom and gloom right now. The point is this. We have confidence in a God who is sovereign and powerful and will uh, accomplish his purposes and plans at the right time in the right way, and it will be good. And I want people in my life that I will look to, that I will lean into about their wisdom that get that. The second thing that we would say about what's it look like to be a wise, godly person is that they rejoice in true treasure. The truly godly, wise person gets it as to what's really of worth and value. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. In other words, integrity, a godly character, a godly life that knows the smile of God, that knows the favor of God, that is a rich person. And we live in one of the richest places on the planet. We have some of the wealthiest people on the globe in the greater Seattle area, and especially on the east side. But friends, some of you in this room today are far wealthier than the guys at the top of the economic list. Because you get this. Because you're rich toward God. Because he's developed a character in you that is like himself upon which he delights to smile and upon which he delights to give favor. And so you find yourself in various scenarios that there's no way you should be in those scenarios except for the favor of God. He's allowed you to be in that work arena. He's allowed you to have the family that you have. He's allowed you to be in the, the neighborhood or in the social circle, uh, etc. Favor, 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 favor. Ultimately, for his glory and for his purposes. It was just two weeks ago, I uh, met up with a new family that I, I had barely even known. I I'd like seen him one time in my life. And some very difficult life experience and circumstances are befalling them right now. And just because of God's favor, all of a sudden I am right in the middle of that chapter with them by their invitation. There's no way I ought to be in this chapter in their lives with, with such uh, demanding circumstances are going on right now, except for the favor of God. And so how wealthy and how rich a lot of us are in those kinds of ways. And, um, I want people of wisdom around me that get that about what true treasure is.
And then in the third place, the wise person is one who responsibly trains children. And, of course, this is one of the Proverbs you probably uh, may have the greater familiarity with. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. So this is as good a place as any, probably the best place, to highlight the difference between Proverbs and promises. This is not a promise. This is not God saying, do A, you'll always get B. This is an axiom. This is a proverb. This is a truth that when most of the time parents train children well, it usually turns out well. And they grow up to be responsible adults and they don't turn from what they've been trained. And the nuance of the passage is also a matter of uh, this kind of parent is wise in the sense that uh, he or she has received some divine guidance about this so that you have some discernment, what is the way that my child should go? How has God uniquely shaped my son or my daughter? How has God uniquely gifted and uh, given passions and things like that? And so we cooperate with God in that kind of training, that kind of shaping, that kind of releasing them in a certain kind of direction. And what the truth of the proverb says is that most of the time that's going to be a great thing. Occasionally, a child will get great parenting and make a choice to go a different direction. It happens. And so it's a proverb. It is not a promise. But I want people in and around my life who do the parenting thing in a godly, responsible kind of way. And in the fourth place, wise people are those that receive truth and are corrected by it. Wise people can humbly see the error of their ways when truth comes in their direction, and they can respond to that in ways that they are corrected, they are reproved. God continues the work of sanctifying and changing and transforming their lives. Proverbs twenty-two seventeen and following says, Incline your ear, hear the words of the wise, apply your heart to my knowledge, says the Lord. Have I not written to make you know? what is right, and what is true. I'll tell you this. Some of the people that I pay the most attention to, no, let me change that. All the people that I pay the most attention to are very quick to hear truth in their lives, to be humble in the uh, acknowledgement of a wrong, uh, to repent, to confess, to make things right, or to change the direction that they were going. Those are the kinds of people that have the the wisdom of God upon them that I pay attention to. Not those that, you know, have the air of they always got it figured out and they've always, you know, got it under control and they're always on top of it and things like that. That that is a facade and uh, that is not reality. Uh, Can receive truth and correction. And then the fifth thing that I'll say to you is that they rightly... Shepherd life. Wise people understand life and life circumstances. And they, they rightly uh, walk with people in shepherding kinds of ways. Responsive, caring, compassionate kinds of ways. Now look at what Proverbs 25.20 says. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. 
Now, you, you get that? Yesterday, I went to visit uh, a family in a hospital who is fighting a courageous battle with cancer. Can you imagine me having come into that oncology unit in a sing-song, la-di-da, la-di-da, hey, how's it going today? Everybody doing well today, you know? That would have been cruel because in that context, wars are being waged. Battles are being fought. People are engaged with the entirety of their life trying to overcome something that's taking life from them. And so it deserves a seriousness, a gravity, a, a sense of what is at stake. Not a flippant, cheery, chipper kind of thing. That doesn't mean you come in, you're morose and all that. But that means that you're appropriate for the moment. And wise people are appropriate for the moment, whatever that moment is. There are other times where you need to be chipper. You need to be celebrating. There needs to be a song because it's altogether appropriate. But the proverbial writer said it this way. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like somebody that steals your coat on a cold day. It's just cruel. And so I want people around my life that get that. And then I'll say in the last place, wise people, godly people, righteously treat their enemies. Righteously deal with their enemies. And friend, if you don't have an enemy, uh, you're probably just not paying attention. Okay? There are people... And maybe undeservedly, maybe, you know, there's just something wonderful going on in your life and they've got their own issues around jealousy and envy and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I just don't like being around her. Well, why? Well, she just thinks she has it all together. Well, why? Well, because she has it more together than me. You know, whatever it boils down to, some people just don't like you. And don't treat you well. And um, in some circumstances are very harsh toward you, right? Some have said things or done things that were cruel, that pierced the heart, that wounded. And Proverbs twenty five twenty one says it this way, give your enemy food and drink. In other words, care about your enemies. Be responsive to their needs. It's like heaping burning coals on his head. And that's a good thing. Uh, some want to translate that to say you'll kill them with kindness. And, you know, you'll, you'll respond to them in, in a way that they didn't deserve. And it will be like it just burns them up. That, that's not what it's talking about. In the day in which this proverb originated, fire was a big deal. You didn't go and just flip a knob, push a button. And if you lost your fire, you sometimes would go to a neighbor and ask to have some of their fire. And if they liked you, they would give you some hot coals. You'd put it in a pan, probably put it on top of your head, and you'd walk back carrying hot coals in your head. You would never expect an enemy to bless you with giving you some of their fire. And so the writer of the Proverbs says, give your enemy food and drink. Care for him. Help him. I have compassion toward him. It's like heaping burning coals on his head. And even as we say that, and if God's Spirit is bringing somebody to your mind, 
that kind of fits that, if, it's, if you don't want to use the word enemy, not my really good friend category. Then what kindness might God be prompting you to extend in their direction? That's a whole lot that we've been talking about. And the question, of course, comes down to what do you do with all that? Well, here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to make a commitment if you haven't already. I am going to access the wisdom of God. I want to live life under God's wisdom, in God's will, and with God's ways. I want to live life well. I want to get to the end of this life, and, I, and I, I'm getting on the other side, and I stand before the judge of all time and eternity. And when he begins to look at the books of my life and, and all the scenarios that I played out, that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter your reward. So how do you get there? I'd say this. Study the ways of God. Study the word of God. And... Ask God to bring wise others around you. So that as you study God's ways, as you study God's word, you have someone that you can uh, debrief those kinds of things with. And unpack and better appropriate for your own life. Listen, there's some wise people in this room. There's, this is one of the reasons I love being a part of this church family. There's a lot of you to whom I can turn and I can ask you about this or I can consult with you about that. And I have a a measure of confidence about how God might use your life and your counsel to help guide me. And I'm grateful for being in that kind of community in that kind of way. And then will you live wisely, not just because it benefits you, not just because it benefits others, And it will benefit you and others, but especially because it glorifies God when you live well. Will you? Let me pray for you. Father, a lot to think about today. And I think uh, we'll just all begin at the same time. Point, and that is to confess. Father, we lack wisdom. We lack it about something. We lack it about many somethings. And we confess that we believe you hold wisdom. You have it all. And so we pray that you give us a mind that can conceive a heart that is responsive to your wisdom. Show us in your ways. Show us in your word. Show us in the lives of other wise people wisdom. Lord, we pray for your favor and your blessing that we live well to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.